and welcome to this episode of Battling with Business with me, Chris Kitchener. And me, Gareth Cannon. In this podcast, we explore ideas and concepts around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership, and all things in between. As hopefully you know by now, it's a discussion between a former Royal Marines officer and a product manager from the world of business, comparing and contrasting our experiences as we attempt to work out, sometimes succeeding, sometimes perhaps not so much, at understanding what makes teams, leaders, and businesses tick. And Gareth, we've got an interesting set of topics today. So you came to me and said that there was a couple of things that you'd you'd seen going on around us and you wanted to pick up a couple of topics. So Gareth, what were the topics you kind of wanted to cover or have us chew the fat about today? This is a huge topic. And I suspect it's going to be one where we don't succeed in working out what makes organisations <laughs> nothing, tick. Nothing like starting a podcast with the assertion that we will not succeed. Absolutely. But I think if we could, we probably wouldn't need to do a podcast and we would be you know, in, demand, in demand in various other businesses. So we're going to talk about the power of narratives, which is something we've covered in the past. And we've talked about personal narratives and we've talked about the need for leaders and people that have influence in larger organizations needing to couch their vision within the context of wider narratives, wider perspectives, because they don't necessarily talk to and have personal interactions with everybody within their team. And that's all very well, but I want to talk more about when that meets the realities of what else is going on. So I want to talk about influence, narratives and stories i want to talk about how you get your voice heard in and amongst the noise and the melee of everyday uh, activity but more importantly i want to sort of explore the world that we live in and the quite insidious i would suggest nature of the current way that we communicate start to talk about things like false information, fake news. I want to talk about conspiracy theories. I want to talk about how trust in organisations is uh, at risk of being severely undermined by polarising issues. So I I think this is one where it it could easily become us talking about the world in general. And, you know, just before we came on, we talked about, this is interesting from, you know, Zelensky is a good example where there's a there's a narrative and the way the world is impacting Donald Trump and American politics and, of course, Boris Johnson. But I think it's really important as well that we remind people that this is not what's happening in the news to other people. These principles apply to whoever you are in a business as a leader. Um, the the interesting thing is we can talk about these as if they're other mm. and they don't re- rely, they don't sort of, this this couldn't happen to me or us, and yet the reality is, I think it really could. And I, you you've also sort of at one level touched on this idea, and we we've I think we've used the phrase we describe frameworks and ways you might think about things, and perhaps even trigger some reflection on these ideas. But just by listening to the podcast or following the things we say doesn't make you successful. I think all of this comes together with this particular topic and talks about the fact that life is what they technically call a complex system. It says there are thousands and thousands of these different factors, which, as we've said, again, I've used this analogy far too many times about making a cake. 
follow the same recipe three times and get three different cakes that work very different. So yeah. th this is, it's not that we can prescribe how to make it work, but we can at least hopefully help people understand a bit more what's going on and think about, be conscious of it and how they change it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's links to lots of things we've covered in the past. I think you've alluded to that in that this is always bubbling around in the background. So from a business perspective, you can straight away see, see how relationships between what you're trying to do, the business kind of objectives and politics and contentious issues can cause friction uh, and conflict. You can see how management of individuals is about alignment of their motivations with the requirements of the organization. So straight away, there's you know, the impacts of vaccinations or mask mandates during a global pandemic caused a huge amount of political issues, but it also just day-to-day -day issues for businesses. And we're now in a world where we're talking about sustainability, ESG investing, all of these kind of quite prescient subjects, but they span politics, they, they span society and, and social relationships, and they also span business decision-making. The trifecta. Yeah. From a military point of view, of course, this is a huge thing. It always has been. So the idea of deception is a huge part of military planning, military operations. We talk now more and more about psychological warfare and information warfare. And as we see physical, you know, good old-fashioned tradition, firepower, manoeuvre across the battle space, blurring with both psychological warfare affecting people beyond just, you know, protecting them or killing them, but now starting to influence them. There's also the quite difficult topic of information protection and information flow. So things like false information in your understanding of the operating environment can really affect your decision making. So there's loads and loads. Well, and they 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 um, they sound very military. So this idea of deception, I don't think I've ever been in a business situation where people have discussed deception as a tactic or an activity going on. But I think, of course, it happens even if you don't talk about it. Yeah, um, I think you're right. It's probably far less prevalent. I can, I mean, I can straight away. Well, think, I, do, I think it's just you don't call it that. Yeah, I mean, you know, you think about car manufacturers when they road test new designs they they want to hide that don't they so they do it in unpopulated areas they they paint them with jazzy paint schemes so that photographers getting a quick snap won't be able to use them but, in magazines but i'm thinking that's, that's a, a relatively low level i mean i'm going to get in a little bit of trouble which is not surprising as some of the conversations we've had but actually i think it goes further than that so any organization that sells something there is a very blurry, blurry line typically around deception. So to be clear, I'm very lucky. I have not worked at any company that has clearly said we will deceive people. However, when you sell things to people, and I, I hear salespeople say this often, which is we will tell them what we are good at, and we will not explicitly tell them what we are not. Yeah, quite. I mean, marketing, so, marketing is marketing. Know, a, a, by exactly. definition is about influencing people by presenting them with information in a particular way, packaged in a particular way that 
you believe is going to be receptive to or they're going to be receptive to but also yeah cherry picking the the good bits and not necessarily focusing on the bad bits and in the military of course we we are constrained by the law of course we are but far less so than than in the business world when mm. it comes to deception so it is commonly understood that you will hide things you will deceive people. yes i think it's an important it, part what's yeah. the, there's a russian word which is a major part of Russian tactics and has Maskerovka. been Maskerovka. Maskerovka. I was. Oh, yeah. I, I know the word, but I thought if I attempt to say it, it will come out. Well, I'm probably going to throughout this podcast attempt very, very bad Russian because I think we're going to touch on two or three Russian approaches to controlling information flow. But it's. I, I think by now we're we're sort of getting into the meat of this, and we're we're recognizing that. This is a complex issue that spans across lots and lots of different subjects. And it's only getting more and more difficult. And things that used to be quite easily sort of categorized or put into you know, boxes are, are far more difficult to define these days. And in a world of social media, in a world of instant access to information, the the lines between what is marketing what is news what is personal access to information and what is a employee's access to information what is a business's marketing and what is public relations yeah yeah is, well yeah these things are all blurred and therefore the impact of false information the impact of conspiracy theories the impact of people being polarized around particular subjects more and more and more emotively is becoming more and more important to all of us so think i mean we you know with our series the influencers i wonder whether we need to do elizabeth holmes from theranos because there's an interesting one of where it all went horribly wrong but i think there's a good lesson in there was deception in that case, I believe now legally proven that it was it was deliberate deception about the capabilities of the Theranos product. And rather than it being just a simple moral conversation about the rights or wrongs of, of deception or whether selling and marketing becomes deception, actually the far more interesting is this was a business that was valued at X billion, a huge amount of money yeah. that simply collapsed overnight. So when you get that balance wrong, it has real world impacts. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. It's not as simple as you know a very clear moral line was crossed because there is an underlying understanding, I suppose, that businesses, by their nature, overpromise. Yeah. Once they win the contract or once they win the business, they then have the resources or the or the need to, to allocate resources they, to go and work they, out they often to have to problem. solve the problem after they've committed uh, absolutely after and they've been asked to solve the problem and given money to do so it was something when i when i left the the military and i talked about going and working for a startup and i didn't end up going and working with them but we sat around and there was all the board members and i was deciding whether to join the board and whether to join this startup and it was very, very apparent they had lots of good ideas, but didn't actually have anything. They didn't have a product or a service to sell. They had lots of ideas, lots of talented people. And, and I thought, well, this is, this is a bit risky and a bit deceptive. 
And, and it was only when it was pointed out to me, this is pretty normal at this stage for a startup, that actually what they need is people to convince can... people to invest in order to turn ideas and talent into products and services. And so they have to, and it becomes this chicken and egg. The Theranos thing is a really interesting example of that taken to extremes. But where on that spectrum you decide the legal line is, is really quite a subjective thing. It, and it's driven by the culture. And I think the culture of Silicon Valley was very much fake it till you make it, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it really was. My time in Silicon Valley was that there were lots of people who went around, and I experienced these, effectively telling people how great they were and you only had to scrape away and you realized they were mortal like the rest of us but to your point a better way of saying it is there was no place in silicon valley for people who demonstrated uh, vulnerability or doubt yeah now I, I i have a different perspective on this and i, I actually I, and i'd like you to sort of push me and challenge me on this which is this is going to sound very old-fashioned but i think honesty carries you through on these things and so therefore if you said to me theoretically because i'm sure people who know me can point out a hundred times where this has not been true do you stick with the absolute honest truth or do you go down this road of whether it be marketing towards deception and the reason why i think that is is not just because i'm sort of catholic in my outlook but because there's no way for me to be caught out. I don't have to watch my back. Now, yeah. that might make things more difficult. So I, I don't think that's particularly unusual, and I don't disagree with you. I, in fact, I think we, we've talked about many times over the last 25, 30 episodes, however many we've done now, the, the power and the value of trust. Trust comes from knowing what other people are thinking how they're going to behave having gone through a process of similar experiences in the past you build trust you can't buy trust you build it and you build it through being honest showing vulnerability when you need to and we've talked about that in leaders we've talked about that internally but of course there is a balance and so there is honesty and transparency and then there is the balance of protecting information and withholding information when that's also important. So whilst I absolutely agree with you, I think honesty is, is a vital component of building trust in relationships and therefore is a vital component of being a team player, being a leader, being a manager. Also, wrapped up in the concept of integrity is also knowing where to protect other people's information well i was i was i was thinking there's probably a catchy social media graphic which we won't do which sort of has a has a spectrum a line that says on the left hand side it is unbridled honesty irrespective of the outcome and at the other end there is deception irrespective of the outcome. And the question that I guess I was asking was, how far can you go along that line? Because I think mm. that when I said to you, sort of, I, I want you to poke me on this, th there's a risk that this sort of, I will always tell the truth is naive and actually doesn't get you the outcome you want. And I think you, you picked that idea that said, it, it, would you protect people in your team by 
omitting information that and and so this is a very murky world but how far do you go along that and line? of course there are legitimate business reasons to pro protect information as there are legitimate military reasons to protect yep. information so intellectual property national security national secrets these are things that need to be protected need to be withheld need to be omitted from the public discourse and you know, that's perfectly legitimate. There's there's a perfect business parallel. So in the past, unfortunately, I've been involved in a number of organisations that had to make redundancies. Protecting that information from the rest of the business until the right time was very important. And so I would argue that was, let's use the word deception, just so then people don't think we're sort of playing around, but deception for the right reasons. And the right reasons were protecting the business. Yep protecting the people in the organization. I know that sounds very odd when you think of redundancies, but one example relatively recently was we wanted to be prepared in order to conduct the redundancies in the best, most effective and fair way we possibly could. I think the thing about this is, and I, I don't think you can hear it in my voice, this is difficult. Very. I really find this difficult. Yeah. And I find this difficult personally because the judgments you make as a leader or as a manager, I regularly will have team members come to me and question those judgments. Why didn't you tell us earlier? Yeah. Why did you say this particular phrase when you you could have said a different phrase which would have been more accurate well that, that's really so there's a real because you've just talked about the way you phrase information and up until now we've been talking about hiding information timing when you release information potentially overstating things but now we're starting to get into the world of how you frame information which makes it another level of complexity again it, it does now we're into the I suppose it's back to this deception idea, but the way you frame information, knowing that it will be ingested in a certain way, that people will focus on certain elements and not other elements, you're now into a world of you can strategically release information in order to have an impact or to dampen an impact. So you can release bad information on a day when everybody's distracted by something else. You can, if you want to be really malign and you know insidious about it you can create false information that distracts people you can do dead cats you know well let, let's come talk about this in a minute i i just what i realize is there's this gray area in the middle yeah. where people can be masking things for good and people can be masking things for bad and arguably they look for all intents and purposes as the same so here's a here's a really good example which was in the newspaper um, well, for people listening to this probably a month or two ago, because I know we're recording ahead with holidays coming up, but there was a statement about the benefits of Brexit. Yeah. And it was that a uh, a car company, I'm going to get this wrong, I think it's Geely, which is a Chinese car yeah. company, yeah. and one of the French car companies, they were going to invest 19,000 jobs, yeah. seven new factories, and it was reported in what might be described as a brexit friendly press as a huge victory for the uk and a demonstration that brexit's leading us to these great worlds yeah. and it, it it said nineteen thousand jobs x million investment five to seven factories and i i actually went and read the article it was in the daily express for those of you who are interested and i actually thought what was 
person, I mean, this is, we, we, we try to steer clear a little bit of politics in this conversation. I thought it was actually pretty insidious because it wasn't just that they had repeated something innocently and therefore you could interpret that a number of ways. I was pretty sure reading this, someone understood exactly what it meant. And by the way, the 19,000 jobs, 18,820 were not going to be in the United Kingdom. The seven factories were not in the United Kingdom. The administrative headquarters with a small number of people who would manage some paper were in the UK. What was really interesting was I walked, I read the article and walked away thinking, they knew exactly what this meant. Yes. And they very carefully wrote an article, which if you said, did you imply that the United Kingdom was going to benefit from these? They could stand there innocently and say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. But assuming they're, they're intelligent, competent journalists, they very, very carefully wrote that article to make it as, you know, the headline, Brexit brings investment to the UK. Yeah. I thought that was a really good example of how people using misinformation yep. and how masking things in a, in, a, in a dangerous way. So in the military, we use the term misinformation, disinformation and malinformation. Okay, let's go through those. So, that's, there's, a, yeah. there's a lot in there. And, and I think this is quite important. So misinformation is information that is wrong, but it isn't created deliberately for malign purposes it's not created to create false narratives it is just information that is plain wrong through mistake through so in a business sense i heard that our competitors were going to release a product and it turns out they no, are not going to release yeah, the product. That misinformation. Perfect. so if you then you know, sent an email to your strategy department and said we need to speed up roll out the next product because you have been misinformed and therefore you're making a decision based off not true information but there was no malign or malicious intent there that's where disinformation differs so and, and there is lots of people get things wrong we make mistakes that, that that happens we also need to be very careful there's a difference between what is fact and what is speculation or uh subjective opinion because what we're talking about here is things that are wrong so it's fact that is well i was gonna say re represented as fact rather than in yes. my opinion they're probably yeah, going to do yeah, something absolutely like disinformation is information that is wrong but you are deliberately you knowingly are creating it to have that influence so if you had a personal reason why speeding up the rollout of that product in your business and I said, and I've, said I've I know heard that this company's doing that, then you're that's disinformation because you are the seed of that information and you are deliberately misinforming somebody in order to have a changed outcome. And then there's malinformation and malicious information is things that are true or you knowing you believe they are true, but you are subjectively using that to influence other people in a malicious way so the, the, so that that example of the the daily express article would be malinformation because if everything it's correct is in there is correct but, but they knowingly knew that it would be perceived in a particular way where people would read the headline not read the detail not do any, any of their own analysis and be more supportive of a particular side of an argument so there's misdiss and malinformation the fact that we live in a world where these things are conversations that are so common 
it's disconcerting and it's uncomfortable, but but it is the reality. And part of this is the social media age. So none of this is new. This has always existed, but it's the speed of information flow, it's the volume of information. Well, also, I think it's the fact that there is when you were reading a newspaper, you would make a judgment about the veracity of that newspaper. I think that the the information flows because of social media have increased. And so the, the one important piece is the information comes from more sources yeah. and therefore often it's harder to know whether they're trusted or untrusted. When your friend tells you something, you have no reason to believe they have an agenda. More importantly now, we live in the, and I hate to say it because it sounds cliched and trite, but the age of post-truth, which is the idea of, so post-truth is simply where- The truth doesn't ob matter. Objective fact yeah. is deliberately mixed up in subjective speculation and subjective opinion to the point where, yeah, like I say, the truth itself becomes not the important aspect we, of the communication. We, we, we should talk about this. I mean, we this was something we, we, we said just before we sort of started recording the podcast, which is we live in this strange world where it used to be that a politician who was, in inverted commas, caught doing something against the rules would immediately put their hand up and said, you got me, yeah. I'm, I'm done. And it does feel like now we're in a world where you catch someone doing something, they look you in the eye and says, so what? Or what are no you gonna, yeah oh no i didn't and then yeah. the moves on this is a this is something i've i've always wondered about has this really changed so for me it feels like it's changed for me i would say well it feels like i could give you 10 examples where a politician was caught having an affair giving money to someone else one of those classic things and they would put their hand up and say i'm you know mm. i'm terribly sorry spend more time with the wife and children and move on or husband and children move on. But I, I'm really nervous about this because I think it gives us comfort to think things have changed. Do you think we're in a more post-truthy world than I, we used to be? I do, yeah. And, and the reason for that is, as I said, none of this is new. There has always been you know, Machiavelli in the 15th century or whatever it was, wrote a book around where he thought being on that spectrum of, using information for uh, power. Can we, can we use the word post-truthiness? Post-truthiness. I think we'll do Machiavelli in, in the influences because mm. a fascinating character and, and morally, you know, very, very clear on where he stands in terms of you do bad things for good purpose, that's okay. There's a whole moral discussion to have around that. But I think what has changed is the audience is now different. So we now consume our information 24 hours a day all the time at the end of our arms normally in our hand is our phone and we check it repeatedly we check it not because we want to stay informed but because we've been conditioned to fear of missing out the fear of missing out the endorphin hit of those interactions on social media all of that kind of stuff means that we live in an age where everybody is constantly engaging positively or negatively and because of that we've become a different consumer and therefore we're in you know what Mike, Moses Naim calls you know the, the age of populism so we've got this post-truth thing where trust is very very low generally and you don't necessarily believe everything I think that's fair 
we live in an age where populism means that we are already staking our flags in particular camps and therefore the interpretation of the news or the information is it's biased before we even engage and I, I think all of this is true but I'm going to hypothesize something I feel bad about this idea of this is new and this is different I, I I we've had this with you know the statements about our kids today they would never fight in a war like the second world war all this kind of what I think is nonsense to be clear I don't disagree with the word you've said about you know the advent of social media the increase in communications the the the, the lack of trust the popular all of those things are true but here's my here's my hypothesis it's actually cyclical I suspect and I, I you know maybe I have to go and do this but if you looked at history you would find multiple periods where in their own way this was true so for example okay obviously back in in Rome you didn't have mobile phones but all of a sudden there were pamphlets or something mm. that someone had written or more people standing up in the the forum talking about things and so I wonder whether this is very cyclical and almost a little bit like political fortunes which is it feels like we've we've reached a real nadir of populism in this country where we people are willing in my mind to to believe things are true when i would argue they're painting not true and 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 start to make assertions about what it means to be english when that's perhaps the opposite the reason why i'm saying that is i wonder whether it's cyclical where we'll get to a point where we'll say actually there was a point where post truth populism benefited us and we've now gone through that cycle and we realize that ultimately we're all worse off anyone paying more for their mortgages at the moment there's a and, and you 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 could trace these things back so i wonder whether we're going to see in the next few years i certainly hope so a retrenchment and a statement that says you know what if our politicians lie or hand contracts to their cronies we're going to make laws to stop that and so i wonder whether it's this cyclical thing rather than we're in a pit and we're never going to get out of it. I, I think you might be right. I don't know. I, I Perhaps I'm more cynical than you. I don't think we're in the, at the nadir because I think we haven't even started to engage in a world of AI-enabled deepfakes, which will change the trust but, dynamic even more. But is that not that much... Is it... I, I, again, th this is not about agreeing with the facts because I do agree with you, but... I, I mean, again, is the advent of AI and deepfakes the next social media? Yeah, if you know I, what I mean. I As in, we, we, we couldn't cope with social media. We didn't understand the implications of social media. I agree we haven't, so, but it's it, 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 do we think that AI is somehow even more of a problem than well, social media? I, I think, and, and to try and bring this back onto track as to how does this impact the things we care about on this podcast in terms of organizations, leadership, management, culture. I think that this isn't the next step. You know, we've done social media and the next step is, you know, deep fakes and AI. I think these things are compounding. And I think what we're talking about, everything around this subject is about the, the blurring of lines and the compounding effects of different yeah. aspects of the, the contemporary digital world that we live in. But to bring it back, I think what we've got to recognize is the amount of access to information is ever increasing. The trust in that information 
whether it whether they, this is going to change or not, I don't know, but he's currently decreasing. Yeah. The way the audiences to information are primed is getting ever more technical, ever more insidious, I think. And the way that we are being polarized around certain issues is currently whether it continues to be whether it's cyclical i don't mm. know is currently a very large aspect of the challenge that we have when when we talk about managing organizations cohering teams together around a strategic vision or a goal whether that's as a politician whether that's as a political campaigner whether that's as a business leader an activist or just you know a member of society at large these are big challenges that we have that we need to understand and discuss and i think we do enough discussion around not just this podcast generally we do enough discussion around the subjects themselves but not enough discussion about the way that we interact and communicate so i think that's kind of at the heart of what we're trying to get after so i tell you what let's take a quick break and when we come back i know you want to develop this a bit further how do you want to how do you want to take this gareth so I think we've kind of danced around a really complex subject. Let's do what this podcast is supposed to do and let's compare military and business ideas around the way that people try to control the narrative, how we try and protect people from other people controlling the narrative. That sounds good. I'm looking forward to that. We'll see you straight after the break. Welcome back. So we've been talking about misinformation, disinformation, and various other forms malinformation. and malinformation. And just before the break, we wanted to bring this back to our world, which is sort of how people control that, how people protect against that. So, so I think it's really important to recognise that what we're trying to do in any organisation is align the organisation's long-term goals the strategic objectives, whether that's because you've got a BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal, or whether you've just got to hit your, you know, targets for next month, quarterly targets or whatever, um, with the personal motivations and goals of the people within your organization. And, and therefore, organization links to the people within it, the teams, through leadership, command and management. We're talking about today is how that is affected by information flows and the fact that you cannot control the information flows outright and so you are trying to align individual motivations against your organizations in this maelstrom of other stuff going on which distracts people it gets people emotive around particular subjects it's creates confusion because there's conflicting information out there and other actors competitors criminal actors political actors activists are going to try and shift and control that narrative as much as they can so whether you are a general commanding a force in a military conflict where the control of the narrative is going to affect the way that military operations 
you achieve their strategic objective. Think about the balance of winning the tactical fights versus how they're portrayed in the national and international press. That's a huge part of strategic operations in a military sense, all the way through to current businesses trying to balance being profitable with being sustainable, aligning to political agendas within you know the nations with which those organizations trade and all of those kind of difficulties. Well, let, let's pick a real one today. And I, I think we've actually tried quite a lot to steer away from the Ukraine as a sense, in a sense, it's almost a bit cliche to talk about, but let's let's break our rules anyway, because I think what's going on in Ukraine is a really interesting one where there is a group of people, a country that is shaping its narrative to the world and having to control information. So an example being is that there is information that is coming out of people saying the a counteroffensive is not going as well as it should be. Yeah. And there are other people saying the counteroffensive is going exactly as well as it should be. And at the same time, Vladimir Zelensky is going to NATO and saying, I need more, I need more, I need more. So I think that's a really good uh, real world example of that complexity of managing all of those things at the same time. How do you not overstate how well you are doing because that's a mistake you can't say we're having a fantastic counteroffensive for not you also can't say it's going terribly wrong you have to communicate enough information to get your support i mean I, I, it's funny as i'm talking about this i know i'm talking about a war yeah. but this could almost be a project in a business well, absolutely and i think there's there's a couple of things to pick out there firstly we talk about ukraine and probably a lot of us when you talk about the narrative of Ukraine, think about the amazing success of Vladimir Zelensky in his personal narrative yeah. tied into the national narrative of defence of the nation. Well, it's a good example that points out if he didn't have a good personal narrative, the well, country, the, 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 the whole of Ukraine probably wouldn't. So argument, while these yeah. things are separate, they are clearly related. But he doesn't control the entirety of the Ukrainian narrative. And in fact, one of the most successful things about the Ukrainian approach is they apply what we've talked about before in terms of mission command, where there is a, a set of key lines to take, if you like. There are key messages, but the way they are projected out, the way they are engaging with audiences of varying types is done differently by different people deliberately so there's this this balance of a centralized idea but a decentralized execution of that idea compare that to the russian narrative which is you have the the state largely you know vladimir putin and his inner circles ideas and what they want project out and then there's other stuff coming out of russia which is quite often conflicting that and what we're starting to see, I say starting to, I think we've probably seen this all the way through, is because the Ukrainian, whilst we're back to, you know, yes, they're deceiving, yes, they're withholding information for you know, national security purposes, what they're projecting out particular messages, there isn't an insidious web of lies it's, it's a really it's a the really Russians good are really struggling with the decentralization of information flows i.e people with smartphones you know 
showing what's actually happening on the ground versus the messaging coming out of out of Moscow, because their whole strategic narrative is based around a web of lies. And, and there's even lots of speculation now that at that very center of Vladimir Putin is, is not even aware of what's going on because they're wrapped up in their own lives. So I think we're back to your your point, you know, 30 minutes ago, where you were talking about the, the power of honesty. I was going to say, I think that's the difference we've got here. And I, and I recognize we're biased. I recognize there are some people in Moscow that might be saying something radically different. Hmm. I'd like to think we're right. But the reason why the deception that the Ukrainians are managing, and I'll keep, because I'm sure they are, is for good. And in the Russian case, it seems to be for survival, as in the survival of people with, in power. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, arguably, they're both, they're both fighting a narrative war for survival, but one is the survival of a, a very malign and insidious regime, and one is the survival of a nation state and its identity. It is arguably, and, and I really don't care if there are people in Moscow who disagree, this is one of the clearest examples of good I, and evil, I think we've I, had in the I think century. I think that's true. I'm very cautious about drawing comparisons between the conflict in Ukraine and, you know, a business world. But I do think there are some things here which people can pull out. So I've seen multiple talking heads where people in Moscow either think there's a small number of people who think this is a terrible thing. There's a relatively small number of people who think this is a fantastic thing. And there is a much larger number of people who shrug their shoulders and say, what conflict? And I think that's a really good example of uh, in, in a business, which is, I would argue what the Russians are doing very well is preventing people hearing any narrative at all. And that's something which we haven't talked about. I mean, our yeah. our whole raison d'etre is if you have a business organization, you should communicate effectively from the top down and all the ways in between as often as frequently as possible. So we're all understand, bought in and aligned to the goal. And I think what we have in the Russian state is it is very important that not everybody understand yeah. the yeah. the truth and the mission and the results and the constraints, because yeah. otherwise they might ask us to stop. And there might be a lamppost and some rope swinging from it. So that's, it's interesting. That's the diametrically opposed value of bringing people in on your mission. They're actually purposefully keeping people out of the mission. I think it's worth recognizing that no matter what your strategic goals are, and this applies both to Russia, to Ukraine, to business leaders, to politicians, to, to whoever, you're framing your message to different audiences in a different way and you will have an option to withhold different bits of information so but fundamentally the less you have to withhold the less you have to change the fundamental story story the easier it is the more you're going to be able to generate trust there will always be things that you can't control and of course all of this is couched in the context of you can never control the narrative so you have to be it's a bit like i suppose throwing a a pot of paint into a flowing stream of water it will go where it it will go go. where it goes what you want to try and do is make your paint as bright as possible and throw it into the bit of the water where the eddy hits i think you want to target this idea about the narrative gets hold of you i think this is an easy thing for people to miss which is if I plan, I mean, I'm going to, again, use the business 
idea. I mean, this is something which I talk about a lot with my teams, which is if we have a business idea that we wish to communicate, it is very important that when we actually turn up at the meeting to communicate the idea, all the people who need to know have heard the idea, have, have participated in that idea, and I feel some degree of ownership. All of that is true, but the point is the narrative effectively wins. You can turn up in the meeting and all it takes is one person to say, I spoke to someone else yesterday and I actually don't think it's a good idea. All of a sudden the whole room changes. So this idea that no matter how much preparation you have, it doesn't guarantee the outcome. You have to be very thoughtful and sensitive to what the narrative is. To use your example, where the water is going, where the paint is going in the water, and why did you throw paint in the water in the first place? So this this is trying to achieve something over the long term under conditions of uncertainty, which is something we have heard before. This is strategy. And communication is a strategic business. And what you've got to do is you've got to recognize who your audiences are, how you're targeting them, with what message, what's going to cut through the noise, what's going to resonate with them and why, and what effects do you want to have? Like any other aspect of strategic planning, you've got to be very, very clear from the outset of why you're doing it, not necessarily how you're going to do it. And I, in the last five years of talking about strategy and communication with businesses, I have lost count of how many organizations have said, we want this to go viral. You <laughs> say so you as don't if, get to choose. As if that Press goes, the viral yeah, button. How do we make yeah. this go viral? Well, well, firstly, you don't get to choose. Secondly, if something goes viral, it's going to touch an awful lot of people. But what is it you're trying to achieve? And, and if it's just notoriety, well, actually, notoriety can be achieved very, very quickly. But it never is. It's about touching a wide audience well you i mean the, the in the notoriety you get to pick things because they're divisive i think yeah. this is the populist thing i want i want to pick an example because i think it's a i personally think this one will stick around it was at the beginning of the conflict in ukraine and apparently the americans offered to take Zelensky out of Ukraine and the famous phrase i need ammunition not a ride yeah now i think that's a that was a that went viral. Yeah. I think it was viral. Why, why do we think it was viral? I think it was viral because it was a surprise, because most people would say yep. it was viral because it was almost funny. Yeah. It was memorable. It was short and it had sort of an element of braveness about it. Now, here's my question. I think also it, it was an authentic act. That's and it, the purpose of it was not to go viral. The purpose yes, of was to communicate to the U.S. To government. Well, to communicate to the people of Ukraine, to the world, yeah, to the Russians, to everybody, in a particular way that Vladimir Zelensky was personally invested in this, and therefore, and, and we've talked about before how how that galvanized or was part of the contribution to galvanizing the Ukrainian people against what everybody had been saying up until that point was an overwhelming force that we're going to take even three days. So here's a thought then. We have talked about misinformation, disinformation and malinformation. We haven't talked about defences against those things. And I wonder whether we've come across an example, which is for all the reasons we said why what uh, Zelensky said went viral, I would argue there is a bulwark for people that prevented certain kinds of disinformation. So if after that day someone had said he's a coward, 
Yeah. People would go, I'm inoculated against the idea that that is not true. In fact, I have, he has already yeah. made the first chess move and the chess move says, there is an element of braveness and honesty and self-sacrifice. Yeah. And so therefore the first thing to do is maybe it comes back to this idea. Cause I'm very nervous about this idea of honesty and decency wins the day. It's a bit too weak, I, but I, I agree. But I think, I think it wins the day, not just because that's how Disney films end. I think it wins the day because it's actually very strong. So nobody is now going to say to Zelensky, you were just in it for the money. No one's going to say to him, you were in it for just to become famous. Well, a lot of people are still saying that and trying to say But I think that they're, they're inoculated very, against Very that. specific echo chambers. It, it's a really interesting point you make, is how do you protect people against these other messages? And I think we've hit upon two really important points. One is authenticity of the message. So this is where deeds and words have to align. So you can't say, I need ammunition and not a ride. And then go. And then, you know, off. be photographed in Rome on a beach, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, three yeah, weeks yeah. later, or, or bugger off. And, and in a world of continual information flow, you know, it would be really easy to see the Zelensky's aircraft on Flight Tracker 24 disappearing yeah. out of Kiev into, into Washington or, or wherever. So you have to align deeds and words and be very, very careful about it. Having said that, there are plenty of people who have captured an audience to the point where their deeds and their words don't align. Have we, have we mentioned the Trump word in this? I think we may have done already, but that was definitely one, was of, that where you one were going? of the, the populist kind of idea. And, and the reason that that works is because they're not aligning their actions with their words. They're aligning the actions of their their adversaries or their competitors with their words. So this is back to this idea of populism, where rather than your narrative being around what you're doing or not doing, it's about what the enemy or the other is doing or not doing. That's very effective as a communications method, but it's not very effective if you want to get things done. Well, and, and also I think it's not, there's a point at which... One of the things I've always thought as a product manager, often when you know you're talking to customers, is it's really important to have the initiative to be able to drive drive something to conclusion. And so, if your opponent is always complaining about what you're doing, you hold the initiative. They have nothing of their own. They're saying I like or don't like this, and that that is on its own is a weak position. Now I know it can be very successfully done, but it's weak. So it's very it, it's a weak position from the perspective of achieving strategic goals. Yes, it's a very very strong position to prevent from preventing others yeah. and from a communications perspective. And this is where business leaders and certain political leaders differ because. To be successful in politics, you don't necessarily have to achieve everything you set out to achieve. You've just got to be believed that you are doing things for the interest of the people. Whereas in a business context, if people believe you're doing things for the best interest, but when the figures come in at you know the end of the year, the the board will still kick you out. That's true. The, but I, the it, idea it's of... still it's still the right side to be on. There's something I want to throw in there as well. So we're talking about how do we prevent this sort of misinformation. In fact, another way of saying it is how do you own the narrative? How do you maintain the narrative yeah. in this sort of situation? 
the, the next one is consistency. Consistency, consistency yeah. is so important to me, which is if, if, if you say the same thing each time, and, and by the way, these things that we've talked about on their own will get you so far, but yeah. not across the finishing line. Yeah. It's the combination of all of these. So if your words match your deeds, and you are consistent, yes. you've got a real winner here. Yeah, and, and this is, you know, who was it? That, it was Goebbels, wasn't it, that said, you know, just repeat, repeat, repeat. Yes. The problem the Nazis had was... Their words didn't match their Their words deeds. didn't match their And all of a sudden, one day, the, rep the repeated phrase sounded empty. Yeah. I, I want to I talk about this from a business perspective, because this is something I've sailed close to the winds a couple of times where I've got executive colleagues getting quite grumpy with me which is about what is the definition of consistency? So in businesses, I think it's fair to say strategy continues to evolve in a healthy way, in healthy organizations. Yep. The thing that we were doing yesterday, we're still heading in the same direction. I think we've used this term sort of, we're heading to the North Star, North or, Star or, or, the or we're a, you know, a heat seeking yeah. missile, whatever these dreadful cliches you want to use. I've not used that one before. We haven't you? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. That is. But the, the point being is it is healthy to evolve your strategy and to evolve your goals and your aims. That is natural. And when you when a group of you spend in, I mean, I've been on executive teams every week. We talk about this. The problem that I found is that when those evolving aims and goals are communicated to the business yeah. often executive teams have this urge to say this is the same strategy we had last month this is the same strategy we had six months ago and the difficult bit for me is to explain at a high level it is but when you get to people on the ground it does not feel that way because yeah. when yesterday someone was told you need to do this thing x it is the most important thing in the world and if we're all aligned and we all get there the business will be successful and it's quite a low level task and tomorrow you're going to say to them why and they say and i've heard this multiple times i've i've lucky i've built some good relationships sort of across teams and down to sort of the coal face where they say this is not what you told us to do. And then it's extrapolated to be, you keep changing your mind. So going back to my point about consistency, teams come back and say, you are not consistent. So I, th I think that's really interesting. It leads me on to the next point, which is, yes, consistency is really important. Yes, you need to you know, reinforce the same message because that's that's how you build the momentum. But what you fundamentally have to do is understand the audience, understand what resonates, what their emotions are driven by, what, what their motivations are, and couch your consistent message in a way that they're receptive to, which is clearly far, far easier said than done. But what you can't do is if your audience is somebody that or a group of people that have a different perspective a different view to you you can't just hit them on the head and say you're wrong the, and this if is you consistently do it they'll suddenly wake up the, this is this is what i found in businesses and and i think the the executive teams that have said that this is the same strategy and i've seen this now in three or four businesses so this is not an unusual thing it's almost this idea at the executive level that there is a fear that if we say the words, this isn't the same as last month, it somehow shows weakness mm. and, and, and lack of leadership. When actually, what I've always felt is that 
no, you're right. This is still the same strategy. Yeah. And this strategy has evolved. That's true. So at one level, you are correct when you say nothing has changed. But at another level, you do need to recognize that you need to be able to go and talk to the person who said, for the last month, I have been asked every day, how am I doing against this target? Yeah. And then when that target is no longer true, someone needs to explain to me why that is no longer true and help me mourn. I put a month of my life in this. Yeah. You should recognize that. And the fact that people say nothing has changed, that causes massive problems. And then when people go, this isn't a problem, you compound that problem. It's worth emphasizing communication is a two-way process. And so if you are a business and you are projecting out your message to a large, wide audience, what you're not doing is having a two-way dialogue with every single individual. But what you absolutely need to do is understand the motivations and feelings of the collective group. And you know, we see this in politics with sampling, with teams going out and doing polling and doing public forums and all that sort of stuff to get a sense of what people care about and then shaping your message around the things that are going to get them out to vote or to buy your products or use your service or, or whatever it is you're trying to do in terms of influence is communication is doing things to change people's attitudes and behaviors ultimately you know you change their attitudes you change their behaviors you're not going to change their mind by just saying repeatedly you're wrong you need to do this well or even and buy my product buy my well product. and and actually the, 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 i think even even the statement saying you don't get anywhere by saying you're wrong because that's never quite what happens people say the middle bit which is well i i hear what you're saying but actually i think you'll find which is a very middle ground yeah. like well i hear what you're but it's this idea of saying, oh, yeah. lots of people are telling me this isn't the same. I, I wonder whether this is actually a, I mean, this has been perhaps a bit more of a philosophical, philosophical podcast around some of these topics. But I wonder whether this has sort of neatly led us back to the beginning, because one of the things we said at the beginning is businesses, whether they be uh, you know, a business or a military or a, a state, are complex systems. And so how narrative, misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, perceptions of people, how you shape those perceptions, how much do you deceive and where is deception for good and bad? Each of these are factors that play into this system. And if you focus on just one, that's valuable. But if you just focus on one, you probably won't win the game because it's these other parts of the system that actually help understand whether you're going to be successful or not. The, for me, this is, like I say, it's a very complex subject. It has multiple tendrils that go into lots of other complex subjects. It's part of a system of systems. At a, at a sort of meta level, it's, it's a system of systems talking about a system of systems. The, the important thing is you can be very, very good at communicating. You can convince an awful lot of people that you're going to achieve something for a short time. You can, you can build a cult where a small group of people will follow you no matter what happens. Yep. But if you're going to align that to the goals of an organization, which means achieving things, then you have to have authenticity in your message. You have to align your deeds and your acts but you have to do it in a way that recognizes who the audiences are that you're talking to and shape your messages 
to those particular audiences. And those messages are part of a conversation. So rather than just projecting, you need to have feedback in order to continually shape your messaging. Messaging, communication is a strategic art and it is couched within the wider strategic art of running an organization. And the final point I think we've kind of touched on, but we didn't actually hit it head on is we are as individuals, we covered this when we talked about decision-making, we are products of our environment, we're products of our, our own genetics and, and families. And so we are a mix of heuristics and a mix of bias and recognizing that the people we communicate have those heuristics and those biases. And they tend to be similar, not the biases aren't the same, but the mechanisms behind the biases are the same. So we are all anchored. We all have priming effects. We are all susceptible to survivability. We've talked about that before. So recognizing that there is a psychological aspect to how you communicate with people, that it, it's a very human thing. So shaping your message to the audience, but making sure it's aligned to your strategy, being authentic, which doesn't necessarily mean being honest and transparent all the time. And there's a lot more to unpack about the balance there. But integrity, I think, is a really good word because integrity doesn't necessarily mean being transparently honest all the time. It means doing things for the right reasons in a moral way. I'm not going to add anything more because I think that was a really, actually really useful condensed summary of some of our ramblings over the time. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to use this as an opportunity. One of my favorite episodes to record because it's such a thing for me was personal narratives, which I think was an episode number two or three. Two or three yeah. So if you haven't listened to some of the earlier episodes, please do go back and look at them. We've got lots and lots of content that's worth looking at. Uh, we are on Twitter. So that's Battling With Biz. And if you are on email battling with business, business with two S's this time at gmail.com, please do email us. And again, I know a number of you have been reaching out to us that. But for the moment, thank you for joining us. I hope you found that stimulating and maybe triggered some ideas. But that's all for me for this time. Cheerio from me. Thanks. Goodbye.